0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. We're in the books of Thessalonians, and we're learning about, we're just going through topically at this point, point. and last week we looked at work, and we're going to look at work again today because um, so much is written in Thessalonians about work. We, as a matter of fact, it makes it to both books We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 today, and you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, Almost an entire chapter is dedicated to work in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's a very clear um, chapter. It's it's not a lot to um, get lost in, but it'll it'll help us if we have some context for that. Last week we looked, and and we'll look again in 1 Thessalonians. I'll show you that in a moment, but uh, that that work is it's is the means that God uses to make us and inf- conform our character to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Of course it would be, right? I mean, besides we're made in His image and, and as image bearers we work, but also it's a third of our lives. <laughs> so you would, you would think that He would use a third of our lives to do that. But I'd say more importantly, uh, besides it being practical, it is the uh, the dignity of man, and it's the design of man to be in the, in the image of God to be work, to be workers. We are all gardeners, and, and gardeners, they take, they take chaos, and they add work to it, and they get food or beauty. And so, most of our work is some kind of expression of chaos plus work into something that's, that's good for mankind, and it's pleasing to God. It, it, it is the way that we express um, ourselves as human beings, and so when we talk about uh, work in that way, we can see in, in when we look at uh, next or last week's passage, I'll, I'll show you that on the screens. But I want you to be looking for four ways that work is is a demonstration of attributes of God, or, or four reasons that we should work. There'll be three in this passage, and then I'll just add one. From all the other passages in the Bible just as a summary. So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as a review, and while we're reading it, it'll be on the screens, I will have bolded the reasons, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm setting you up to win on this test, okay, three out of four reasons that we should work and enjoy that. Okay, um, in chapter 4 verse 9, it's right there on, on the screen, it'll be about working hard. Now, about brotherly love, that's why we work. There's the first one. And about brotherly love, we do not write, we don't need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, you do love all the brothers around throughout Macedonia, and yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And here's how. Okay, that's why it's one of the reasons to love. Verse 11 Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as I told you. So that your daily life will may, may win the respect of those outsiders, and you will not be dependent upon anybody. Okay, so the the, the three things that you can see, and all four of them, I'll show you. Four, they're all outside focused. They're out. They're focusing on other people. They're they're um, not about selfishness. It's about selflessness, and it was brotherly love that you would love one another more and more by working that. Um, You would would earn respect from outsiders. Other people would see how hard you're working, maybe at the workplace or just in your neighborhood. Wow, that that person's industrious. They can make chaos into something beautiful or edible. Uh, Third is that you wouldn't be a burden to other people. You wouldn't be a burden to people in the church. And then the last one, it's not in this passage. It's assumed in in both Thessalonians and throughout the Bible so that you can give to other people that are in need. So you're going to probably, some people will be making more than they need. And so you you get the opportunity to help people make up uh, in the areas that they can. And so, as you can see, all four of the reasons that are mentioned just in this passage anyway, are focusing on someone else. You know, learning respect from outsiders, not being a burden to, out, to other people, right? For the love of your brothers, this is why you should work. And and so that, that's somewhat clear. What was interesting in this passage that, that I think it's notable is that he says that you should live a quiet life and work with your hands, mind your own business. Work with your hands. Really? Work? Okay. Why is that? I think Paul said that because, and in, in, in some of your study Bibles will actually make a mention to it because it's so pervasive in the Roman and in Greek and Roman culture, uh, that working with your hands was… Beneath, you know, some people, a lot of people, and so it was it was sordid or degrading to work with your hands or to work retail. Cicero is probably the second most famous Roman outside of Julius Caesar, and he he made these kinds of comments that um, in Plato's Republic you might uh, remember that there's three types of people: there's gold and silver and bronze type souls, and the and the bronze, the lowest level, are the workers because they have to touch the earth. And, and like Cicero said in Plato, that, that, um, that the evolved person, the, the gold, would be a person who spends his day thinking or in art. So if you're a philosophy professor or an artist and you go to art shows, there you go. They're, you're the lucky ones. And then there's this middle level. And then the third level, this bottom level, is people that just work with their hands. And so Paul, by saying not just get a job, he says, work with your hands, He's saying, you know what? Forget your Greco-Roman culture. Who can't, why are you getting your, your worldview from these guys that think that the earth is bad and working hard with your hands is supposed to be repugnant in any way? So Paul is kind of calling out the worldview and the value system of these people. And so instead of saying, just get a job, he says, look, don't be afraid to get dirty. It's, that's not the way God thinks about work. As a matter of fact, um, in a comment of this, William Temple, who is the Archbishop, or was the Archbishop of Canterbury, writes this about the passage. Uh, I found it interesting. Uh, he said, Look at the Bible creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection. What do they all have in common? God with his hands in the dirt. In creation, God had his hands in the dirt creating. At consummation, God is cleaning up after the great battle and building a city. In the incarnation, God becomes physical. In the resurrection, he redeems the physical. So, what's Paul saying here? There's nothing that's beneath you. If you think there's some task or job description that is, is not for you, you're above it, you're a little high on your horse and probably issue is pride and you'll probably get knocked off that horse. Because it's all good. All good work is God's work. If it's ethical, right, all good work is God's work. It is through work that we love God and love people. We love God by showing the dignity of, of our, uh, our nature, right? We, we, we're creators like God. We take chaos and we transform it into something that's edible or beautiful. It, the way we love other people is by doing what God allows us to do in areas where they're not allowed to do that. They're no good at it. And I think because I was studying this passage this week, I had some trees trimmed, and a few years ago, um, I learned that I shouldn't be trimming trees. And anyway, these guys uh, just came to our house looking for work to do, and so they were up there at 15. I think, I think our trees are 15, maybe even 20 feet high, and they're, and they're just they're jumping from tree to tree with a chainsaw in tow and after the whole thing was over, because I was studying this passage, I was thinking more about they were just looking for a job. I was thinking, thank you. Thank you so much because, uh, thank you. Well, there was a language barrier, so they just said, you know, give me the money and then we'll be gone, okay? Just, I don't know, good, good for you, you, creepy guy, man. But the, the idea here is, is that you get to serve other people with the gifts God gives you and the ability to do things that other people can't. That's how you love them. So that's, that's what was part of 1 Thessalonians. That's the lessons that they uh, were able to learn through that. But today we're going to talk about something that comes up in 2 Thessalonians, and that is the problem that we have with a person that won't work. What do you do with someone who won't work? Not can't work, won't work. It's not like they live in Detroit and there are no jobs there. It's not like they're disabled and they cannot work for some reason. They will not work. And, and they're self-centered enough to say, you know what, everybody else can make ends meet for me. What do you do with that person? That's the topic of Second Thessalonians. I mean, we all probably know stories about people that might have had a really nice job in an air-conditioned building and, and something happened, and, and well, just the stories here at Grace, and they ended up getting a job throwing newspapers or working construction with another guy who drove a cab. And they're all doing that while they can maybe find another job, or that's where they settled into. And, and you know why they did those things? Because all good work is God's work. It wasn't a step down. It was just a move over. And they, and they did what they needed to do for their family, to provide for their family. But what do you do with a person that won't work? Okay, let's just, let's just personify this. Let's just say that you have a sister, a grown sister, who's married to a man named Biff. I know you probably warned her early um, but she didn't listen to you. And so you, you know, when you marry a man named Biff, so he gets let go in January and you do, you know, it's family, right? So, Hey, how can we help you? We have some resources. Sure. We'll help you make maybe a car payment or get you through this difficult time. Time goes by. Uh, Okay. Your kid's sports camp. They've been going all these years. You bet. We'll maybe help pay for some of that. Mm -hmm. Great. So you run into them in Thanksgiving and still there's nothing. And you say, okay, it's been 11 months now, so tell me where you've looked. Okay, why are you applying for jobs that you're not qualified for? Why are are you applying for jobs that… Did you know know Home Depot boasts hiring? I mean, Home Depot always has a place to work. You can work there. And he says something like, well, I'm not going to work there. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to need to talk to my sister, your wife because that's going to change the way we do things in the future. So when he calls later on and says, hey, brother-in-law, can I borrow some more money because I might lose the car, you say, you can borrow my bike, but only for a couple months while you ride it to interviews. See, I mean, something, how long will you give someone money not to work Will there ever be a time where you say, "Wait a minute! I don't think we're part of the solution anymore. I think we're part of the problem. I think, I think we crossed the line from love to being manipulated." Do you think that that's possible? I think it is. I think you can get to a place where you're causing more damage than good, and and that's that's what's happening in this story. But the story gets worse because Biff is never missing a bible study. <laughs> I mean he's coming to everything at the church and he's mixing it up with everybody, trying to get involved as much as he can because he has so much free time because he's not working. That's what they're having to do. That's what 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is all about. And we're not going to talk about that right now. What we're going to do is going to take that topic, okay? that work is good, it's the nature of God in you, you get to take chaos and make it, you know, something beautiful. I'm going to put it right over here on Mike's uh, music stand. I'm going to change the subject. We're not going to talk about loving God and loving others through work. Now I want to talk about what words mean. Big words, like not big, big, but big, important. When the Bible uses words like faith and love and knowledge and trust. Those are very powerful words, and in the Bible, whenever those words are, are used, there's an absolute assumption that we do not assume, okay, in our culture because we're we're product of, of kind of a Greek and, and uh, enlightenment, I don't know, whatever, I'll tell you more about it later, but we just have a different view of those words. When the Bible talks about words, it talks about those words having meaning and the, and, and their action words. I saw a video this past month that reminded me of a few churches that I've worked in and a few Bible studies I've been part of where they don't, they don't think words mean what they mean. And it was funny enough that I thought I'd show it today, maybe even a couple times. Why don't you, I'll show you this video and think about this being a Bible study, not necessarily a restaurant. Hey, isn't Jacobson choking? i definitely say Jacobson's choking. I know exactly what to do. I've seen it in the movies. It's called the Heimlich Maneuver. You make a ball, stand behind the guy, and pull hard. The action on the solar plexus, That's right, the solar plexus. expels the food. <clears throat> Just like I told you. Let's talk. Just like in the movies. Make it happen. Right? Let's talk make it happen. Okay? In that video, there are people... Are there's three people watching a man choke. One person says he knows what to do. Another person is reminded, oh, right, SolarPlex, I remember now. Who really knows the Heimlich Maneuver? Who believes the Heimlich Maneuver has the power to save? Who loves saving the person using the Heimlich Maneuver? In the Bible, it would be the person at the other table. As a matter of fact, in the, the con- the definition of knowledge, of knowing in the Bible, is the ability to do, not to recite. In the Bible, when, when someone has trust, it means they act in a way that is trusting. Not that they have memorized it and they can… There's no such thing… You, know, you might have gone to school where you, you took a blue book test and you recited all the facts, but then when you went to the lab, you blew the place up. Okay, in the Bible, there's only Labs. In, in the Bible, it's, it's almost exclusively word problems. Can you do it? If you, watch this, if you can't do it, you don't know it. If you can't do it, you don't believe it. If you can't do it, you don't trust it. That's why there's no, there's no bad blood, there's no misunderstanding, ladies, if you're taking the women's Bible study, there's no contradiction in faith without works is dead. There's, there's, it's supposed to be faith without works is dead, duh. <laughs> because that's the way they think. And so at that table, one man is choking, two people don't know the Heimat maneuver, one person's being informed about it, another, the person that believes, that loves, that trusts, okay, that has knowledge, is the person that gets up, comes over, jerks him out of his chair, Wraps his arms around the stranger and punches him as hard as he can in the solar plex. That person believes in it. That person loves that person. That person has a knowledge of it because love is hard. This is hard love. And a person that believes in hard love knows that sometimes you have to hurt someone to help someone. Hard love is the belief that you have to hurt someone to help someone. And Bible study groups that sit around tables and just talk about the Heimlich maneuver aren't Bible study groups. Those are like public school Bible as a history book thing. They just meet on a church campus. They're not learning how to obey. Okay? Those, I don't know what those are, but from a, from a you know, from a conceptual idea, that's not a Bible study. That's an information download, but it's not for knowledge. It's not for faith. It's not for belief and it's not for love. Okay. So what I'm trying to do now as I'm establishing terms about what it means to believe and obey and trust and, and, and know. Okay. Now I'm going to go back. Okay. I'm coming back over here. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for holding this for me. Okay. Now let's talk about, remember our, our talk, we were talking about work. And we were talking about not just work was 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 an expression of our majesty that we get to be like God and we get to love other people and get to love God and that we what we get to love our brothers and we we get to get a good reputation from outsiders we're not a burden to other people and we get to share our wealth okay that's all true what about the person who won't work see the reason we did this little restaurant definition of what's true is because today's passage is not vague. That won't be the problem. Today's passage is clear. That's the problem. Today's passage is not what should I do is whether or not I actually will do it. Today we're going to talk about some words towards a person that won't work and whether or not we're going to get up, pull them out of a chair, and punch them from behind to save their life. Because a Bible study is supposed to be a good Bible study where you have relational connectivity and there's relational discipleship, we call it here sometimes, is so that you can save a life. It is more important than a Heimlich maneuver. Your body is less important than your soul. And so we get together so that some, if something were to come up, somebody would love you enough to know enough to do something, action words, to stop it. That's why there's an entire Chapter dedicated to this. Let's look at chapter three of Second Thessalonians, and I, I, I've broken it up because he gives the command like three different times, and then he gives explanation. And so we're just going to hit the commands first. Chapter three, verse six, and then I'll go to ten and fourteen. You'll see why. In the name of <laughs> this is this is I mean this is like he's coming after these guys. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I we command you, brothers. To keep away from every believer who is idle and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. Well, what are the teachings that you, we receive from you? Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Verse 14. If anyone of you does, uh, does not obey the instructions of this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him, in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy. Okay, don't be hating, Okay but warn him as a brother, warn him as a brother. And so the issue was, you know, these people that aren't working. And so Paul, as an example, apparently this was so prevalent that Paul, as an example, said, you know what? I came as an interim pastor to you, and I had a right to take an offertory and live off that offering, but I didn't. I worked night and day for you guys. Just to give you an example, of me carrying my own, you know, weight. So that's what seven through nine, that's the context of seven through nine. Watch what he says. For you yourselves know that you you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's food without paying for it. Oh, on the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, and I might add, with our hands, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we did not have a right to such help, but in order that to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Paul didn't want to neglect his responsibilities. He didn't want to become a burden on this young church, and instead of what he could have done is taken an offering for the pastor as he's passing through town. He's, no, 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 no. I'm going to work nights and days. He was a tent maker, and he's He's got calluses on his hands. He's showing up to the pulpit sweaty and smelly because he'd been working so much. And he says, that's what I did as a role model to you because work is so important so that you can love God and love others, so that you won't be a burden to other people, so that you'll have a great reputation on, from people outside looking in. All of those reasons. This is a serious issue. Look what Paul, apparently this is pervasive in a a number of churches because I think some people thought Jesus was coming back, and so they just like, good, I quit then, you know. Or the church was known for being generous, and it's like, fine, I can live off of them. And so Paul wrote this to his young uh, Padawan, Timothy, because Timothy had a church going, and he had the same trouble. He said, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith, and it's worse than being an unbeliever. So, Paul's saying, Look, there's this guy, faith and works, they have to go together. And this, if this person's not even providing for his own family, it sounds crazy, but if he's not even providing for his own family, he doesn't have faith. Because faith is an action word, and he's idle. <laughs> so, Paul's telling us, you know, what is it? Th- again, this is a person who not, won't work, not can't work. They're not in Detroit where there's no jobs. He's not disabled and unable to work. This is a person who says, you guys pay my bills. Or I don't want to work. I don't know. Just don't want to. So here's what is a church to do? Okay, that's, the, that's what Paul is answering. What is a church to do? And the reason I say what is a church to do is because if you look at this, is harsh. I mean, b- verse 6, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers. Okay, that. The, the, He he throws in all of the titles he has. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you. I command all the brothers. It's funny, sometimes some things kind of get weird. We have some people that go off the rails a little bit around here. And the the response is, hey, uh, why why aren't the ministers dealing with this? And you know what our answer is? you're the ministers <laughs> you're the he didn't he didn't say this isn't a letter to the elders or the leaders or the pastors this is a letter to the church he's going to talk to biff in a few sentences later we'll look at his words to biff but he's talking to everyone he's saying you guys what is the church to do the first thing he says you do not associate with them look at verse uh, the, the, well, actually, verse 6, continue. Do not know how to say shit? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teachings that you receive from us. So this is kind of the final step in uh, kind of I think there's a four-step process. So this person that you know, Biff, is, is in your home group or he's in your Bible study or whatever it might be. One person says, hey, Biff, it's been like a couple of years now. What, have you been to the career stuff we have at the church? Yeah, okay. Have you, what, you know, there's a job at, at right, at Home Depot. So you're doing all these things, and, it's, and then it's becoming clear that it's, it's not a matter of, it's a matter of they won't work. And so now two of you go, and then like the whole group goes, and then you get other people involved. But but it starts with you individually, and we don't have time to go into the passages, but it's, there's a point where, it, where a church... Or a Bible study or a Sunday school class, there might be an announcement made, and when the announcement's made, it's like you don't associate with them anymore. And, and don't be too harsh. It's like you would do this um, with your children. It's like you can't watch cartoons until your room's clean. Is your room clean? No. Okay, then you can't watch cartoons. I mean, I'm not putting you on time out because I'm being mean. I'm just trying to get you to be responsible. So what's good enough for, you know, little Biff is good enough for big Biff. Uh, I need a new name. Uh, second, what is the church to do, okay? Uh, stay away. And then the second one is do not feed them. <laughs> do not feed the bears. Uh, for, even if we, for even when we were with you, we made this rule, if a man will not work, will not work, he shall not eat. Because if you feed the person, it's, you're feeding the problem. And put it another way, there is nothing quite as motivational as a growling stomach. That is very helpful. How hungry are you? Hungry enough to get a job? No? Okay. Next, uh, you hurt them with love, 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey the instructions in this letter, and that includes everyone that's helping, you know, that's helping, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn warn him as a brother. So, look, this is positive peer pressure. You're, you're saying, look, you know what? Instead of coming to the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study or, or the Sunday school class, why don't you stay home and, and work on getting a job? And we're going to just keep helping you do this one thing right because your reputation is ruined, right? All those things. You're not helping the rest of us. You're taking from the rest of us. You're not loving the rest of us. And so you need to focus on that one thing. And don't treat them, you're not, if you're, if you're being vindictive, if you're being mean-spirited, you're doing this wrong. You're to treat them like, he says, like a brother. Some tra- translations say like an insider, not like an outsider, okay? Now, most churches don't teach in this entire chapter. They act like there's two chapters in Second Thessalonians. A lot of churches don't deal with this type of thing because they don't want to be judgmental um, or they don't want to deal with conflict. Conflict's difficult to deal with. But what's the alternative? To watch a man choke while we talk about knowing the Bible and we don't know it. We're not trusting. We're not obeying. We're just throwing words out, and they've lost their value. They're meaningless. And and so we won't be a church that watches people choke because (laughs) love doesn't do that. Okay? Love does not make it easy to continue to sin. Love makes it easy to re- repent. Okay, let me use non-church words. Love makes it difficult to continue to do wrong. Love makes it easy to start doing right. That's what love is. I'm going to make it harder and harder for you to continue to do wrong, and when you stop doing wrong and want to do right, I'm going to make it easy for you to come back. Okay? That's what, that's what love is that otherwise you're, what's, you're enabling, you're, you're, you're part of the problem. This is I I can't find a more secular example of this. This is why I'm, I'm trying to put this, just as low as possible and hope the church can rise to that. When, when I was in, in school at the University of Texas, I had a friend of mine in the finance department where I was work where I was going to school, getting a degree, and he was talking about, he was the treasurer of a fraternity and they couldn't pay their bills. And I said, well, let's make it our, our little project and figure out why. And we figured out it wasn't because of expenses. It was because of income. And, and it turned out they had a 65% collection rate. I, I said, well, there's your problem. You have all kinds of potential income, but you're not getting it. Why don't you just, you know, we kind of work this out. Why don't you just put on a butcher paper, once a month they have a chapter dinner, put on a butcher paper the names of everybody who are past due and how many months. And, then, and let the brothers... Uh, positively encourage them to pay because, uh, because nobody was missing meals and nobody was missing their little frat parties. They were just missing paying for them. And so they put this butcher paper up and the, and the treasurer stood at the front of the chapter dinner line and said, you can eat when you get your name crossed off. And everybody, it was a new thing to everybody. It's like, wait a minute, you haven't paid in four months? Whoa, 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 boy, are you, you are drinking a lot of other people's punch. And in, in, in two months, they went to a 96% collection rate. Now here's kind of a funny part. My daughter's down at UT. And so I went by this house and cause uh, the door was open and stuff. And on the wall, the butcher paper is still up there 25 something years later. And here's, here's what happened. People would, People would kind of make it hard for them to continue not to pay. And then when someone would pay, everybody would cheer. they ring the door, the bell, you know, where the cafeteria was. And, and they celebrated, hey, welcome back. See you at chapter meal. See you at chapter meeting. See? So if it's good enough for a fraternity house at the University of Texas, when we're really talking about beer money here, okay, <laughs> Paul is saying that's how you love people. That's how you care for people. These are action words. And at Grace Covenant Church, I'll tell you that if there's ever a time where you' here in a Sunday school class or someone t- comes and talks to you in a small group, or maybe sometimes we do it from this podium, and we tell you someone's in time out and we're asking them not to come to our church anymore, or for a period of time. I want you to know that it was not a simple process. It didn't happen immediately. It took a very long time. There were multiple conversations. It was extremely difficult for everyone involved. And if we failed And this this has been our our, our, in the last few years anyway. If we failed, it has been it took too long. We waited. It was now. It it was past hurting people, and now it's hurting way too much because we've we just want to err on the side of grace, and sometimes grace is trampled on. So I'm I just I want to tell you that because. Um, it, it happens here. We do this. We are, we are a church that we want people to be the types of people that pull people out of a chair, grab them from around the back, and punch them to save their lives right in the solar plex. Okay? Look what, it, look what he says now, now that he's talked to the church. Now Paul says, okay, I want to talk to Biff. Biff, you and me, let's look. Look at verse uh, 11 and 12. Now, we hear that some of you, some among you are idle. <laughs> they are not busy. They are busy bodies. They just look busy. They're going to everything. They're looking busy. Get a job. He says, look at verse 12. Such people we command and an urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread you eat. There it is again, an absolute command with an urge on top with the titles the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not typical for Paul. When he uses all three, it's like he's not kidding around. In the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you and I urge you to settle down and to earn your own bread. Wow. It's almost just like what he told the church. You need to help them settle down and earn their own bread. Now, I think it's, it's telling if you've been involved in this in any way, if you've had tough love in your own family with a relative or someone, if you've raised teenagers, <laughs> if, um, if you've been in church work where they do this, you know that this verse 13 is for you. Verse 13, and as for you brothers, never tire in doing what is right. You know, gee, compassion fatigue is a real thing. And I think he's talking about two things. One, you continue to care for the people that are in need, that are legitimately needing financial help and emotional help and spiritual help, and that'll wear you down. And then there's this other group over here that's obstinate. They're going to drag this thing out. They're going to do everything they can except get a job, and that's going to wear you out. I think, I think dealing with these discipline issues is probably the single um, biggest reason or influential reason on why we kind of wear leadership out around here. You know, it just, it you just, you wish there's going to be a happily, happy ending and there's rarely there's a happy ending. So, uh, so anyway, Paul says, hey, don't grow tired of doing good. Keep it up. I mean, God's watching, he's trusting you and that sort of thing. Look, this is a church where, where we believe in words and we believe, we believe that words like obey and love and faith and trust are action words. Watch this video again. Watch the guy choking, how he looks left and he looks right, and he's looking for someone in this church to help him live. Play that. Hey, isn't Jacobson choking? i definitely say Jacobson's choking. I know exactly what to do. I've seen it in the movies. It's called the Heimlich maneuver. You make a ball, stand behind the guy, and pull hard the action on the solar plexus no, the like solar plexus. expels the crew <coughs> Just like I told you Let's talk Just like in the movie Make it happen Make it happen Look you want you want, I love how he just looks around like okay no one at this table is going to help me Be a person at a table that will help Okay It, it might be clumsy, might be reckless. Treat him as a brother, okay? Or a sister, but but be the person that's willing to grab someone out of the seat, tear them up, all right? Wrap your arms around them and punch them as hard as they can in the solar plex to free them from the thing that's killing them. These are action words: faith and belief and trust and obedience. These are action words. I think I, there's people come to our church sometimes from. Other churches, and when they visit, they, they give us, and I, I would consider one of the better compliments that we receive, and it's when your, some of your parents come here, maybe for a baby dedication, but it's, 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 adult, it's a, parents of adult children, right? So the 20s, the 30-year-olds, and their parents will come, and this has happened on, on a, more than a few occasions, where a dad generally will come and he'll talk to me or Ray or someone in leadership and he'll say, thank you. I can trust my kids with you. They went through a very difficult time where the husband went crazy or the wife went crazy or there were some addictions or whatever it might be, and your church, like, held them to it. You made them make choices, and they quit listening to us, and I thought if they were going to just come to a church and fill their calendar with Bible studies that never had to apply anything, that's what I feared, and then they came here. And I, I feel like that is one of the greatest or the deepest and most... Um, integrity oriented compliments that a church can receive, because I think, I think that's how God works. I think a lot of you are here because God brought you here, because God trusts us, because we believe in the Heimlich Maneuver. And, and it's just, you're no different. You'll let your children play with a house down the street that's, that disciplines their children and the house two doors from you that's closer, and the kids get to do whatever they want, you won't let their kids, you won't let your kids in their house. You can have their kids in your house, but you don't let your kids in their house. I think God's the same way. I think some of you have been brought to grace because God said, you know what? They do the Heimlich maneuver here. They know what love and faith and trust and belief and obedience mean. These are action words, and that's why God led you here. And we're going to continue to be that. I just wanted you to know that when we find difficult passages, and the, pro- the difficulty in this is not what it says, that's clear. It's whether or not we're going to obey it or not. And we will. We will. I think it was Mark Twain that said, the passages that bug me are not the ones that I don't understand. It's the ones that I do understand that really irritate me. But that's what love is. That's what love is. And that's what a, that's what a church is. That's what grace is. Let's pray for courage, let's pray for God's insight, and let's pray for God's uh, volitional will to do what he calls us to. Lord Jesus, we'd ask that you would bless our church and bless it indeed, that you would call us to be people of action, of compassion, of love, but also of fortitude and understanding that, that some people, they, they need an extra push to help them do what they were called to do, what they were meant to do, that they might they might be image bearers in in their choices. So God, continue to bring people to our church. Let us learn how to kindly love people in a way that reflects what your Bible clearly tells us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.